Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Data with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again and we will be breaking down everything that happened this past week in WWE as the build to the 2023 Royal Rumble continues. This week, it was a bit of a mixed bag across SmackDown and Raw. There was definitely a lot of entertaining stuff that Triple H's creative team uh, delivered to the audience at the same time as a bit of a prelude to our The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly segment later in the show. There were more bads than there have been in a long time this week in the world of WWE, but we will be breaking all of that down for you as the show progresses. We do have some reminders to take care of off the top, as we always do, starting with the fact that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about divide. So please, it's a brand new year, folks. Stop making me ask. Stop being marks for yourselves and... Go back to being marks for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, for Vintage, Chris Vanini, and for the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave us a five-star rating on our show page on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. And if you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis, highlights, all that good stuff you can find on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Another reminder that I have is that Getting Over has provided you not just one, but two year-end episodes. Of course, we had the 2022 year in review published last week to conclude the year, and we have kicked things off in 2023 with the 2022 Getting Over Awards, also known as the Meaties. Those are available and ready for your ear holes. They were published Monday morning. So a number of you already have, of course, listened to the show. But for those who have not, do not fret. The Meaties are hot and ready for you. Just an extra dose of performance enhancing audio to kick off the week. Now, unfortunately, vintage Chris Vanini will not be joining us on today's show. He was at the college football playoff national championship in Los Angeles, seeing, unfortunately, I say unfortunately, of course, I am a Florida Gators fan, uh, seeing Georgia absolutely demolish TCU in that game. So Chris is flying back home. He is not available to do the podcast, largely, I think, not so much just because of timing, but I doubt he was able to watch Raw on Monday night. So he will be back with us next week. Do not fret about that. What it does, though, is give me a little extra time here in the show open to update you guys on the status of the equipment that I promised to purchase uh, heading out of 2022, thanks to all of your extremely kind contributions. Well, the great news is five of six pieces have been purchased and delivered, and they are in the process of getting set up. So my hope is that right around Royal Rumble time, before this, the end of this month, We will have a new sound, at least coming from my microphone and also uh, our sound drops as well, should be coming in nice and clear for all of you going forward. Now, there is one issue, you know, for anyone who has watched videos online of people that have podcast setups or streaming setups, you have to put the microphone on something. And unfortunately, 
this arm that I've been using since the very beginning of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. It is, it's a piece of trash, right? I bought something that was like 40 bucks just to kind of get the job done. Unfortunately, the new microphone that I purchased is exceptionally heavy. So when I put it on this arm, it almost, if I didn't catch it, fell directly onto my desk. That would not have been good. Uh, so I need to purchase a new arm in order to actually use the microphone so that we can get all of this going. But don't you worry, that is getting purchased this week. It should arrive by the end of the week, early next week. And like I said, my hope is that we have a new, clean, and much clearer sound for all of you uh, as the Getting Over Wrestling podcast wraps up its third full year of existence this coming March. So that is everything that we had to take care of from a business perspective. Let's get on to the show and break down everything that happened across this past week in the world of WWE. And we are going to kick that off as we always do here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast by sliding into the main event. Now, SmackDown on Friday opened with the bloodline wrecking shit at ringside like they did at Raw the prior Monday. Except this time, Roman Reigns entered after they were done and said he would give the fans what they want by lettering the honorary Oos speak. So Sami Zayn said they were going to send a message in 2023. Reigns said he wanted to talk about last year. He wasn't past that yet. And he really wanted to talk about the main event from last week. He cackled at the idea that they lost and he pointed out it was Sami who actually lost the match. Then he started screaming at Zayn, wondering why he would dare call his shot and not follow through, and why he thought he could be the tribal chief. Kevin Owens interrupted, saying Roman's problem isn't with Sammy, but rather with him. KO challenged for the title. Reigns brushed him off and then accepted, just wanting him to leave forever. Owens said he would see Reigns at the Rumble and Zayn whenever he dug his balls out of Reigns' pocket. It was really interesting here to see Roman get that furious with Sammy, which isn't an emotion that he has directed Sammy's way before. Usually that's reserved for an opponent or when he's really disappointed in Jey Uso. But to see Reigns snap at Zayn like that was a shock. It came out of nowhere. You could see by his expression in the ring, his psyche breaking, you could feel his insecurity. And as a home viewer, I thought it was completely effective. There really should be no doubt that this continued to set the stage for whatever split is forthcoming here. So Sammy on SmackDown later begged Paul Heyman to let him explain himself to Reigns. The Usos shook their heads in disappointment, walking by him into the locker room. Heyman reminded Zayn that he needed to stay three steps ahead, but also said that he still loved him. Sammy was completely distraught after this. The Usos and Solo Sokoa later got pumped up for their title match. When they left the locker room, the Bloodline locker room, Reigns told Heyman to summon Zayn. When Sammy finally entered, he reminded Roman that he acknowledges him as the tribal chief and he promised he has no interest in taking his spot or trying to lead the bloodline or anything like that, but he still apologized to Roman in case he gave that impression. And this is where things kind of turned because Reigns didn't accept the apology because he said it was on him as a leader to control his anger. Roman then seemed to kind of legitimately apologize to Sammy because he didn't control himself And he also admitted that Owens was right. His anger needs to be directed toward KO, not toward Sammy. Heyman told Zayn that he has an opportunity to redeem himself one-on-one with Owens next week on SmackDown. Sammy was all in for that. He got up to go help the Usos in their tag team title match. 
But Roman pulled him down, decided to keep him by his side, and he wanted him to watch for the locker room. And then during that match, which we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, Sammy was eating popcorn and he kept offering it to Roman, who looked at him like, are you kidding me? I would never share popcorn with you. Reigns looked at Heyman like Zayn was out of his mind, like in a funny way. And then when we went back to it during the match, Zayn, Reigns, and Heyman were all eating popcorn, but they all had their separate buckets. I legitimately laughed out loud when I saw that. I thought it was fucking hysterical. And here I was thinking, by the way, that the opening segment to SmackDown was the best thing that we would get on Friday night. I'm not even really sure what to say about this anymore without being like repetitive about its greatness. Reigns taking accountability for his anger and doing it with someone who is not blood was wild. Like it's one thing if he admits, hey, I was too hard on you to one of the Usos or to Solo Sokoa or even Paul Heyman. But for him to do that for Sami Zayn, who is not really a part of his inner circle, although I guess he's you know certainly working his way into it, that was crazy. Uh, Roman's ability to strike fear in his allies and even the viewer, many times without saying anything, it's kind of remarkable. And the twist of not forgiving Sammy because he's the one who actually wanted to apologize, that marked probably one of the top three or four moments, I would say, in this chapter of the long-term Bloodline storyline. It was also a bit of the throwback to the Thunderdome version of the Tribal Chief, letting us know that despite all the fun and success, the manipulative and insecure version of this guy is still there lurking below the surface. I'm legitimately thinking that Reigns may beat the ever-loving shit out of Owens at Royal Rumble, which could potentially be Zayn's breaking point, where he has to come in and say, enough, please stop. But for what we got, this was simply outstanding. The popcorn shtick was a great comedic touch after the drama, And really, just that scene created a number of awesome gifts that you can go find online. So while this was happening, while they were eating popcorn, we got the main event of the show. So the undisputed tag team championships were on the line. The Usos defending against Sheamus and Drew McIntyre. Notice there that I said the undisputed tag team championships. We will come back to that later in the show. So the challengers smacked and chopped each other in a pub while they were reminiscing about their battles, getting ready for the title match. They also got everyone in the pub chanting banger after banger. And because they did that, they actually allowed your friends here at the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast to update our banger sound drop. It's banger after banger after banger after banger after banger. Slightly better than the old one. Still not perfect. We will find one that is appropriate. Well into the match, the faces hit stereo avalanche, Irish curse slams off the ropes. McIntyre hit his massive tope outside, followed by a claymore on Jay, with Jimmy making the classic last second save. Jay avoided McIntyre, who flew into the post. Jimmy blind tagged with the Usos, hitting a double super kick and 1D, only for Drew to get the save at the last second. McIntyre then caught Jimmy with a Glasgow kiss. As the referee turned around, Solo stuck Drew in the throat and then hit spinning Solo into the top of the barricade. The brawling brutes came down to take out Sokoa. Sheamus hit the bro kick on Jimmy, but Jay broke it. So he did this really strange jump off the top of the ring post outside. The finish then came as Jay escaped Sheamus and rolled him up with Jimmy using the leverage move with his feet on his back to get the one, two, three and the title retention. Uh, Zayn celebrated backstage, throwing popcorn everywhere while Reigns and Heyman were like half laughing and half like, this guy's an idiot. What's he doing over there? So there weren't really... 
any storyline implications here for the main event, since it seems like Reigns and the Bloodline have moved on from the Brutes and McIntyre. So really, this was just a straight up damn entertaining match. It was nice to see the Usos get a relatively straightforward win and the finish protected Sheamus. More than anything, it's going to be curious to see who steps up to the Usos over the next two months and what the hell Sheamus and McIntyre are going to be doing now through WrestleMania. There's really no issue with them just both being in the in the Royal Rumble right now. That's easy booking. But coming out of that with the expectation that neither of them wins that match, what exactly is going to happen? Is Drew possibly going to join the Brutes as a co-leader with Sheamus? I mean, they tagged, you know, it wasn't Sheamus and Butch. We already saw that, obviously, when they had to do the fill-in booking a couple weeks ago. So it's just kind of curious to see what's all going to happen with them. I don't have all the answers to it. Really, this was the main event this week because of the Roman Reigns and Sami Zayn portion of the storyline. There is more, technically, that happened with Bloodline members on Raw, and we are going to get to that in the good, the bad, and the ugly. But when it came to the main event itself, I just found the SmackDown storyline in particular to be enthralling. Again, just to be a little bit repetitive, Reigns and Zayn were absolutely killer on this show. Roman was the MVP of the entire episode, as he so often is. And it was just really a top tier night for that storyline on Friday. It was just, they killed it. So that, of course, is the main event for this week. There's plenty that's happening and going on in the world of WWE, but we're going to cover all of that separately in the second segment of today's show. That being the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez, I call a spade a spade, it just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some Jordan. It's time to wake up the dead, you sound a little naive in the articles that I read. All right, so we're going to kick things off. We're going to stay with this storyline, like I noted. Uh, JBL interrupted Kevin Owens. As he opened Raw with a promo, he put over Baron Corbin as being the last person to get a clean pinfall victory over Reigns. Corbin promised to win the Royal Rumble and beat Reigns, while Owens literally put his head into the turnbuckle in the corner, which was really the appropriate response to their promos. So we got the obvious match right away, and it was largely boring us in until Owens caught Corbin running with a stunner for the win. KO sniffed out the Usos, planning an attack after the bell, and he was able to hold serve with them pretty well, two-on-one at ringside until Sokoa joined for a three-on-one beatdown. Solo super kick KO into the timekeeper's area, but he emerged with the chair to beat them back. Adam Pierce ran out furious once again. And you know, look, there was a time, and this is years ago now, but there was a time where I legitimately believed Corbin had a chance to be a top heel in WWE. And even like a transitional world champion, if and when a situation called for it. But at this point, there is no salvaging him. It's over. Like Vince McMahon, his booking pushed Corbin to a point of no return. It would take a drastic character change with him going pure comedy babyface or something like that to make him interesting again. This was absolutely brutal with him and JBL. Now, what saved this segment was KO's reaction to them. Everything he said and did is literally what I was thinking and wanting to do. I just wanted to put my head into a pillow and not watch this promo segment because Corbin and JBL were that terrible. But what he didn't say is this. How the fuck did Triple H 
think Corbin was the appropriate opening segment to combat the college football national championship game. Again, Owen's mic work was the only value to this segment, and it was a bad straight off the top to open Raw. Now, backstage after this, the Usos were talking trash to Pierce, who kicked them out of Raw, but informed them a tag team turmoil tournament would crown their next number one contenders, and I really cannot believe I got that alliteration without fumbling there. In the same breath, Pierce told Sokoa he wasn't cleared to leave because he had a match against someone else that he victimized, Dolph Ziggler. Dolph later expressed his readiness for the match when Mustafa Ali approached. He was angry that Ziggler chose to take this match instead of teaming with him in the Turmoil Tournament. Ziggler said it wasn't personal, but Ali reminded Dolph that he cost him the U.S. Championship opportunity, so it was personal to him. Ziggler admitted that he screwed Ali, but he said he thought it was necessary in the moment, and while he apologized for it, he said, this isn't about you, it's about me, and fighting Sokoa is something I need to do. Uh, Pierce is simply great in his authority role. Having him off TV for a while has really made his appearances refreshing again. And he's been excellent the last couple of weeks. At first, I kind of just shrugged off the idea of Ziggler fighting Sokoa. I was like, well, at least he's going to give Solo a really good match and he'll put him over. But bringing back the storyline element with Ali suddenly made the entire thing a lot more interesting. So then we got Ziggler against Sokoa. Solo absolutely dominated him from the jump well into the match. Ziggler avoided him in the corner with Sokoa hitting his head on the ring post and Dolph following with a DDT. Then he slipped off Sokoa's shoulders, hit a zigzag for a near fall. Ziggler kept going on a run. Sokoa countered the Famouser into a powerbomb stance, tossing Ziggler into the air and then hitting a Samoan spike as he was falling down. The Usos then popped out of the crowd to celebrate and this just kind of succeeded in enhancing Sokoa's uh, profile with a win over a former world champion. Nothing more, nothing less. But combining this with those backstage segments I mentioned and really the booking concept of saying, hey, you're not just going to have this match, but you deciding to have this match is affecting Ali, who, oh yeah, we still remember you screwed last time you both were on TV. All of that gets a good. So the opening segment with KO, a bad, but the rest of it with the bloodline, a good. Uh, Charlotte Flair entered at the middle of the show on SmackDown talking shit about Ronda Rousey. She actually got a thank you Charlotte chant, which made her laugh because she probably never expected to hear that. She said fans can cheer, boo, or woo her, but she's always been about passion, consistency, and dedication. And what was really interesting is she legitimately had the crowd in the palm of her hand. They were going wild for her. Sonya Deville came out saying the 14th title win deserved an asterisk given Rousey had already been beaten down ahead of time. Fans chanted, whoop that trick at DeVille as she demanded a title match that Flair accepted. So SmackDown Women's Championship went on the line for the second straight week, Flair against DeVille. Charlotte hit an awkward cartwheel clothesline and then a bit later caught Sonya coming inside with a spear, falling with the figure eight for the submission victory in like seven minutes or so. I just really couldn't buy into any of it. Like it was basically the same Charlotte promo, the same random title match to someone who didn't deserve a shot and the same Charlotte wrestling. That's not to say she's bad at those things, but as a big segment after a surprising title win the week prior, it gave us absolutely nothing to sink our teeth into. Where was Rousey? Is she not furious about last week? Where's Shayna Baszler to fill her spot if she can't be there? Where's a challenger for the Royal Rumble? To me, this was just an utter waste of time. I need Sonya to go back down to NXT with Toxic Attraction or bring them up to SmackDown and make them a trio. I just could not find anything to actually praise about this 
other than the fans actually cheering Charlotte. So the fans, you get two thumbs up, but this segment and the match, the whole deal, it's getting a bad. So it's two bads in three seconds to start off this part of the show. LA Knight was backstage at SmackDown saying Bray Wyatt's plan blew up in his face last week and he'd put his lights out for good at the Royal Rumble. Michael Cole explained, no one knows exactly what's ahead for the pitch black match other than there being no rules. There wasn't really much here, but what I do find impressive is that Knight is already getting the crowd to say his catchphrases despite barely wrestling and only getting a limited amount of speaking time. So this gets a good, but it's really just by default. Now, Alexa Bliss hopped on the Raw announce table on Monday night speaking in a really calm manner while explaining that she's the real face of evil because she feels better than she has in a long time. Bliss said she's finally taking control and has the whole world in her hands. Get it? She was cut off by a video infused with images of her and a playground as Uncle Howdy appeared laughing and asking, do you feel in charge? Basically, she said she feels in charge. He's like, do you really feel that way? Then the lights went out and Howdy actually appeared at the entrance, but literally did nothing. Like he just came out and then they went to commercial break. So this was similar to the SmackDown segment a couple of weeks ago in that it ended without a climax, just kind of cut off. It was one of those like Saturday Night Live segments that it's like really funny and you're really entertained and intrigued by it and it's getting you going and then they just don't have an ending. So they do something stupid and then they go to commercial break. Like that's what this felt like. But... What we did get was enjoyable. Bliss was killer on the mic, delivering a really clear picture of what she's becoming. And we still got a level of intrigue with the Howdy appearance. It's easily the most interesting Bliss has been since her return. And despite the exceedingly poor wrestling from her last week, which we already criticized, so I'm not gonna go back to that. I am curious to see how this rematch with Bianca Belair ultimately transpires. So I am giving this a good. I found it notably entertaining and Again, if, if you do something that makes me say, I want to see what they're going to do next week, nine times out of 10, you're going to get a good out of me for it. Now, there is some news surrounding Uncle Howdy and staffing in the world of WWE. Now, you guys know I generally do not give spoilers or inside information on the podcast because that's not really the type of show that we are unless it's something that we specifically have to report. So I'll do a little spoiler alert. And if you want to skip forward 60 seconds in the podcast, you will be able to avoid the spoiler. But spoiler alert right now, there was a report from PW Insider just before Raw on Monday night that Bo Dallas was backstage at the show. And given there were plans for Uncle Howdy to show up in the segment with Alexa Bliss, putting two and two together, one could pretty much guess that it has been and will be going forward, Bo Dallas behind the mask that he has been re-signed to WWE. And he is working, of course, with his brother, Bray Wyatt, in this long-term storyline and with this gimmick. So we will see how that unfolds. But again, according to a report from PW Insider, he was there and it would certainly make a lot of sense. It is very easy to put two and two together in that scenario. Now with that, we will move away from the spoiler and continue on with the good, the bad, and the ugly. Austin Theory held up the United States Championship, yelling, the champ is here, obviously like John Cena. He got great heat working the crowd, first on his own, just combating their what chance, and then he went after Seth Rollins and they got even hotter against him. That led to Rollins entering, he started limping with a crutch, only to dance with it to show that he's actually healthy. The crowd was on absolute fire for Seth Rollins. 
It was probably the best reaction he's gotten on a TV show without like doing anything in a long time. Theory put Rollins over for being great, but said he's already surpassed his ass and is now onto better things like winning the Royal Rumble and beating Reigns to hold three titles. Rollins admitted his knee is not 100%, but promised it will be in the Rumble and at WrestleMania when of course he fights Reigns. Then he called Theory Kid again and rolled out of the ring only for out of nowhere, Bobby Lashley to make his return for the first time in like a month. Theory screamed that Lashley was in the past. He swung the crutch that Rollins dropped at him, missed obviously. Lashley hit him with a spear. Then Lashley got a huge chant from the crowd. He said his suspension is over and he's gonna manhandle everyone in the Rumble. Lashley was notably wearing all black with a gold belt and gold on his boots. Now MVP approached Lashley in the locker room saying they had business to discuss. Lashley refused to shake his hand even though MVP claimed and Lashley seemed to agree that MVP was the one who got him reinstated on Raw. MVP said mistakes were made by him and everyone, but he wants them to get back to doing what they do best. Lashley said they're good, they're on good terms, but he's never gonna forget what happened. So look, it's tough to have a segment or really two segments be this entertaining despite nothing actually happening. Like Rollins and Lashley were Theory's two prior challengers and they came out to confront him, but it was obvious neither has his eyes actually set on the US title. What I would have liked to have happened was Mustafa Ali to take advantage of Theory at the end after he was getting beat down and then figure out a way to get his shot coming up. That would have brought the storyline full circle. But Theory rocked on his own. Rollins got the crowd amped up. Lashley's return was solid enough. And obviously the MVP segment blatantly hinted at a Hurt Business reunion. So there was plenty of solid entertainment that made this a double good, both for what we got in the ring and what we got backstage. I did find it interesting. And you guys know what my long-term booking has been with Bobby Lashley. I found it interesting that Lashley talked about coming into the Royal Rumble and absolutely dominating and throwing everyone out, so on and so forth. Because if you remember, as the Silver King has been booking the damn territory over the last couple of months, my booking would be Lashley comes into the Rumble, throws a bunch of people out. Lesnar comes into the Rumble, throws a bunch of people out. It's Lesnar and Lashley, and they start brawling with each other, almost like King Kong and Godzilla, and they roll each other over the top rope, continue fighting outside. And that match, the rubber match, I guess, between them gets officially made for WrestleMania. That is how you book Lesnar. That's how you book Lashley. You don't put them by a title. They don't need to be around a championship. You just have them fight each other in a huge headline match on your biggest show of the year. The other option, by the way, is for like Lashley to come in at 18 and Lesnar at 19, and they don't eliminate a bunch of people. But like Lashley gets two people out, then the thing rings, uh, Lesnar's music hits, he just takes Lashley out immediately. They both roll over the top rope and do it that way. But that has been my booking for months. I hope they do it that way. And certainly there may have been a hint that that will happen based on Lashley's promo. Also, I could just be completely reading into the entire thing. There was a third or fourth, I'm forgetting now, Cody Rhodes video package where he went over the Hell in a Cell match with his torn pectoral. It was actually the third. First, it was the interview on the year-end Raw, and now the second video package. So the third straight appearance, I guess, is the best way to put it. He said one of his springboard moves in the match legitimately made him want to throw up that it hurt him so much. He also said he has not watched the match back. Brandy Rhodes spoke for the first time on WWE TV since Cody's return, and he just talked about it being the first time he suffered a major injury in his career. 
it was extremely well produced. Like that's the positive. Again, I loathe the idea of them doing these video packages because they're just giving away what should have been a surprise Royal Rumble return. But judging on what we got, and that's really all I can judge the segment on, it was good. It was a good video package. Michin fought Bailey. So if you remember last week, Michin had a match with Becky Lynch and they called her Michin every single time. Probably, I don't know, 25 times her graphic said Michin, uh, the Titantron said Michin, everything. This week, they started calling her Mia Yim along with Michin. And that was after, again, they erased her name last week. So I don't know what's going on there, but maybe she is still both. Bailey had her hair looking like Rufio. She grabbed the mic before the bell to ensure that Becky Lynch was watching. And then Bailey gave the rest of damage control the night off so she could be on her own in the ring. Bailey hit a nice draping vertical suplex off the apron and then won the match after a nice counter sequence with her legs finding the ropes during a backslide pinning combination to get the win via cheating. Bailey later said she proved herself when Meechin interrupted, calling her a cheater. So Bailey sicked damage control on her for a three-on-one beatdown. Now the crowd actually here was like percolating a little bit. It started buying into Meechin because Bailey was so rude and dismissive in her promo. But to have Bailey be that rude and dismissive and then beat Meechin in a relatively weak manner. I mean, even if Bailey had to cheat, she had already sent damage control to the back. It just made Meechin look bad. And then to have her get her ass beat backstage on top of it with no one helping her, I get it, right? Like Becky comes back next week. They go after damage control together, but she looked like shit here. This would have been a great spot for Meechin to like sneak out a win with Bailey, like rolling her up, catching her in a pinning combination, something like that. Then damage control beats her down. Then next week, Bailey beats her on a rematch. They beat her down again. Becky Lynch makes the save. Like, it's really easy to book this. But to have Meechin just lose right off the top, and this, by the way, is after losing the match last week. I mean, she's new to the brand. You're trying to build her up. She, You put her in war games. You're having your team with Becky Lynch, and you're just having her lose everything. Like, you got to be a little bit smarter and better. So I did go bad here. It wasn't insulting. It wasn't the worst thing in the world. But it wasn't good. And it wasn't the right booking. It was announced on Raw that Johnny Gargano has a grade two AC sprain, which is why he has not been in action recently. That's about a month with rehab. Uh, It could be four to six months if surgery is required. Given it's grade two, and they're not saying he's gonna be out for a long time, my expectation is they're doing rehab. They're gonna surely try to avoid surgery as best they can. Now that obviously kills the momentum he was building a little bit right after his debut. It massively hurts Dexter Loomis as well given he doesn't speak and he has no one now to speak for him. Just a really rough situation for Gargano. Obviously, we hope he gets healthy. We hope he gets back as soon as possible. It may be a little too tight for the Royal Rumble, but it's not impossible. Uh, Candice LeRae backstage was talking about Gargano's recovery and herself entering the women's Royal Rumble match when Rhea Ripley overheard calling her delusional that she thinks she even has a chance. They went back and forth with a challenge issued. Now, during this, Ripley called Dominic Mysterio her Latino heat, which obviously got a pop out of me. And it was really a nice segment overall. So we ended up with LeRae versus Ripley. Ripley beat the shit out of Candice at the bell until LeRae slipped away and hit a huge like avalanche German suplex pulling Ripley down off the middle rope onto her back. Ripley caught her flying and then swung her into the barricade before fully lifting her into midair with the prism trap outside the ring. Then she brought LeRae inside and hit Riptide and just won in really dominant fashion. 
Look, I think many of us want to see Candace book strong, but there's only so many women on the roster right now. Given the size differential and the run that Ripley is on, it made sense for her to win and perhaps to even do so dominantly. I would just have given Larray a good bit more offense to help her look stronger in defeat, but I enjoyed what we got both backstage and in the ring from these two. Candace can talk, she can obviously bump, and she did everything she could to let Rhea look good, which also happens to be my grade for the segment. Now, sticking with Judgment Day, the Miz interrupted before Bronson Reed could answer an interview question backstage. Miz offered Reed a VIP invitation to Miz TV. Bronson made it clear he wasn't his partner or his friend, and if he wanted something from him, Miz needed to pay. So Dominic was walking backstage with Judgment Day, wearing a purple bandana over his face with a plaid shirt buttoned at the collar, in like throwback style, looking like Conan, basically. Uh, he was cosplaying as like a badass with the whole gimmick being he's been bailed out of jail and he's a hardened criminal. Miz said he would expose the justice system. Corey Graves made a real a ton of like, okay, they were really forced, but as someone who like watches The Office all the time, they were also appreciated. He made a bunch of prison mic references as did Miz once they got in the ring. And as JD entered, They even did the prison pose with like Dom crouching down in front of the other people standing behind him. Dom said prison taught him to always roll with his crew and that snitches get stitches. Ripley and Finn Balor hysterically kept reassuring him. He said, you have to grab life by the balls like Maurice does to Miz. Dom told purposely like corny stories from the clink. Miz pointed out that his sources said Dom was not in prison or jail. He was just in a holding cell for a few hours and he was wearing an expensive shirt. Basically, he was poking holes in the entire story and the whole situation. Judgment Day was ready to go after Miz when out of nowhere, the tag team turmoil match that we mentioned earlier, that kicked into gear. This was good, okay? But it would have been more effective as a taped backstage interview with Graves doing the questioning. That way it could have been edited down and distilled to a really tight comedy segment. It was completely unnecessary to have Miz be involved and it really just dragged it out. That said... While not all the comedy landed, it was definitely a hit as Dom continued building this absolutely absurd character. I would love to see someone like get footage from the jail or the holding area of Dom like in a cell with like a drunk dude, a stoner and a Karen or something like that. Like the least threatening people that could be imaginable. That would be an hysterical place to take this next. So we'll move to the tag team turmoil match. Judgment Day opened against the Good Brothers. Dom pulled Carl Anderson's leg while he was running the ropes and Balor just rolled him up for the win. The next team to come in was Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin. Unlike Lashley, they were not wearing black and gold, but they did go on a huge run at the jump. Balor blind tagged as Priest caught Alexander in the corner with South of Heaven, adding the coup de grace for a second win. And this was way better than the first match. Then Alpha Academy came down. Despite being heels, Fans popped big time for the Academy and specifically Otis when he executed the Caterpillar. He went for the Vader bomb on Balor, but Balor dragged Gable onto his body to eat the move. Then Priest super kicked Otis and hit a Lariat for the win. This was great also. Balor sold his ribs very well after the bell. Trainers came down and medically disqualified him, did not allow him to continue competing. So Pierce said JD either had to forfeit or Dom could take Balor's place. So there was a reluctance, obviously, to do that with Dom, you know, playing a chicken shit heel, but eventually he did take his place. So it continued, tag team turmoil, 
It was Judgment Day against the Street Profits. They were the last team. Dom scurried away from the Profits, even though he's wrestled plenty of times before. Priest pounced Montez Ford over the announce table when suddenly Angelo Dawkins flew in from out of nowhere with, I don't know, maybe his first Tope Con Hero ever, and he got a huge crowd pop for it. Ford got the hot tag and hit a frog-style crossbody and a standing moonsault. Dawkins then pounced Dom into Ford's arms for an assisted German suplex and a great near fall. Dom blind tagged. Ford countered south of heaven with a hurricanrana. Priest threw Dawkins into the barricade, only for Ford to hit the massive tope that he does over the ring post. Then he came back inside. He looks at Dom. He gets on the top rope. The dude hits a fucking 450 onto Dominic that looked like it was going in slow motion. You gotta see the video of this move. I'll post it on our Twitter account at Getting Overcast. I mean, I'm not saying that athletically. I didn't think he could do a 450, but he's a big dude, both in size and height. I'm sure other big dudes have done 450s. I don't remember seeing one like this. It was massively impressive. Anyway, Priest broke the fall. Ford then dodged Priest into the steps, but Dom caught him coming back inside with a roll-up and he got his feet on the ropes for the leverage pinfall victory. The Usos then stood off with Judgment Day on the ramp and held up the Raw Tag Team Championships to end the show. Now, there may have been slow parts in this tag team turmoil, like the opener with Gallows and Anderson, but this match, which was really just a gauntlet match, it was an absolute blast from a booking standpoint. I started getting a sinking feeling that the Profits were actually going to fight the Usos again when Dom replaced Balor. And then they just got me with a perfect false finish. In the end, literally my only criticism is that Dom beat Ford almost the exact same way that Bailey beat Meechin. There's so many different ways to cheat in victory. You have Ripley ringside, Balor's there nursing his ribs. Maybe just have them push his body with leverage, kind of like Jey Uso did. At least that's on a different show. <laughs> you know, it happened Friday night. It didn't happen earlier. Or have them trip and screw with Ford or... DDT him outside, and then he comes back in. Dominic catches him with a move and gets the pinfall. Just something different than the exact same finish in the exact same part of the ring to what we saw with Meechin and Bailey two hours earlier. Like, come on. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's one show. It's contained in one three-hour program, two almost identical finishes. And if you go back to SmackDown and you count the Usos leverage pinfall victory, it's basically three very similar finishes. But my issue isn't with that. My issue is with two on the exact same show. But again, that's my only criticism, okay? Cedric and Shelton, they got legit shine here. Alpha Academy was over like Rover. Both Ford and Dawkins were out of pocket. I think I'm using that right. I'm not washed yet, but I'm getting there. In the final match, Priest wrestled for 50 minutes. The dude was an absolute warrior. You could make an argument. He was the MVP of the entire show. Judgment Day came out of it looking more legitimate than ever. It was an absolute blast. And beyond that, it was the easiest good of the entire week. That was a good one, yeah. Now, something interesting that I'm just remembering I forgot to note is that the promotion for Tag Team Turmoil, both before it started and during the match, as well as once it ended, was that the winner would get a Raw Tag Team Championship match. That's the first time an individual title has been singled out since the Usos and Reigns all became undisputed champions. Now, the Usos' record is with the SmackDown titles. So if they were to drop the Raw straps, it wouldn't hurt their run in the history books. But it seems odd to potentially split the straps before WrestleMania. In fact, the tag team titles 
are probably the only category of belt in WWE that should have a singular champion, given that's how the women's tag team titles currently operate. So if you want two sets of tag team titles, you've got them. One for the men, one for the women. You don't need two for the men and one for the women. So I was decently surprised at this development. That's not to say that the Raw titles are gonna change. But look at what was set up here. You have the Profits getting screwed by Judgment Day. You have WWE starting to really build Ripley as a dominant threat. That could put her in line to win the Royal Rumble and face Belair at WrestleMania. And doing an extended angle with those seven would certainly make sense. But holy shit, would it be anticlimactic for the first major bloodline loss to come randomly on a Raw with the Usos losing to a team that largely loses when it has tagged previously. It also really feels strange that you're gonna do a heel versus heel dynamic and possibly switch the titles, but based on the creative and the fact that they seem to be setting up a longer term profits judgment day feud and Rhea Ripley, they were giving her a lot of shine. It really feels like the Usos are gonna drop the Raw tag team titles. Now, the confusion is what to do with Edge and Beth Phoenix, given they were written off with that massive beatdown by Judgment Day months ago. I have long maintained that Ripley Phoenix was the plan for WrestleMania based on that storyline. I'm not saying I was reporting that, I just, in booking the damn territory, it seems blatantly obvious that you would do Ripley versus Phoenix. Phoenix getting their revenge on the one person who took her out. It also seemed like Edge and Balor would be another match on that card. And it's possible that is all exactly what's going to happen. It's possible that this was just an establishment title defense to make it clear that the titles can be defended individually. So maybe they do have the Usos win, but now it's kayfabe that a singular title can be defended for a dual champion. We'll have to see how it all plays out starting next week. I don't have the answers. I'm just asking the questions. But as I noted, if they just have the Usos like drop the Raw tag team titles unceremoniously to Judgment Day, that really does potentially ruin the moment if they do lose the titles at WrestleMania, the other titles, to Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens because knocking off an undisputed champion is far different from just knocking off a singular SmackDown champion. So as noted, we will cover that more as this progresses. Uh, Ricochet fought Top Dalla on SmackDown. This was a Royal Rumble qualifier match. Ricochet won in a couple minutes with a shooting star press. It wasn't a squash, but it was pretty close to that. After the bell, Top Dalla extended his hand. Ricochet dapped him up, and they celebrated for a few seconds until Ashante the Adonis and B-Fab both super kicked him in a heel turn for hit row. Then the guys teamed up for a flip over X-Factor type of move that was way better than their prior finisher, and they also smacked Rick in the head. Braun Strowman ultimately made the save as everyone dipped out of the ring. I was legitimately shocked how little wrestling there was in this match, but the heel turn was completely necessary for Hit Row. Great decision. And it was interesting to see Braun still come to Rick's aid here. I like the idea of them as a tag team through WrestleMania season. It could be interesting, but again, I don't want them to be the team that takes the titles off the Usos. I went good for the entire segment. The match was just nothing to write home about. Uh, Kofi Kingston had a match with Santos Escobar. This was set up via backstage segment with Escobar calling Kingston's Royal Rumble history legendary, but promising to snuff him out. Kingston went on a late run, hitting all his signatures. Legado del Fantasma then distracted with Escobar catching Kofi with a huge kick and landing the Phantom Driver for the win. Loved this booking. I'm protective of Kofi given his history and the fact that beating him 
is beating a former WWE champion, but this was exactly the type of win Escobar needed to continue like legitimizing himself on SmackDown. While it was nothing spectacular, it was a well-wrestled match, at least in my opinion, we got the right winner on top of it. Uh, beyond that, I also enjoy the idea of New Day and Legato feuding, so it's a good for me. Liv Morgan backstage entered herself in the Royal Rumble because she lives for chaos. She said she hopes to pull number one and beat everyone on her way to main eventing WrestleMania. I get the gimmick of like, I hope I pull number one because I'm a badass and I want to fight as many people as I can. But that's a really stupid strategy for basically anyone. You should want to be number 30. Uh, Madcap Moss and Emma fought Karrion Cross and Scarlet. By the way, no grade for the Liv Morgan segment. She just said like two sentences. Anyway, Moss and Emma against Karrion Cross and Scarlet. As you can tell off the bat here, somehow Moss is still named Madcap, despite Emma calling him Riddick last week. Absolutely infuriating. Cross broke a fall, so Emma slapped him. Scarlet then tripped Moss and killed Emma outside before Cross hit Moss with the cross hammer and locked in the cross jacket for the win. After the bell, Scarlet put one of Rey Mysterio's masks on Moss's head. And really just none of this worked. Like from Moss still being Madcap to the match to Cross's hair being longer than ever, he looked weird. The backstage stuff with Cross and Mysterio a couple weeks ago, that was great. This didn't accomplish anything. I went bad for it. And by the way, I should note, this was Scarlett's first match ever in WWE. She never wrestled when they were previously together in NXT. And lastly, there was another Lacey Evans vignette. This time she was training in the WWE Performance Center, it seemed, where she debuted the Cobra Clutch, presumably as her new submission finisher. Cole referenced Sergeant Slaughter after the video. So as we already knew, they're going with the full military alignment for her. Look, I was critical of her last series of return vignettes, but these are hitting for me. They just are. Now, who knows what it's going to be like when she actually returns, but for now, I can only judge on what I'm getting. And what I'm getting are pretty solid video packages across the board for Lacey Evans. A reminder, a wrestler I don't even like, and yet I find them to be good. So we wrap up with that. Now, on the way out here, I do want to briefly mention something about all the changes going down in WWE from the business standpoint with the board of directors being shaken up, Vince McMahon rejoining, hoping, of course, to be elected executive chairman. Uh, you know, this is a bit of news and information that I found out talking to a few people. I just wanted to share, and I decided to do it at the end of the show to make sure that uh, people were listening all the way through and not just expecting stuff right at the jump. But I did speak with a couple people in the talent and creative team, uh, off the record, so no names, of course. Uh, but long story short, the meeting that went down last week on Friday, it was relatively surface level for for uh, the employees of WWE. And overall, the reaction to Vince McMahon coming back has been negative, obviously. It has resulted in morale uh, being down somewhat across the board. Now, the creative team right now is remaining hopeful that everything will continue going on as it has been. But still, there's that sneaking suspicion inside for them that ultimately Vince will try to insert himself back into creative sooner than later. Now, as of right now, it's not a definitive happening, meaning that it is not for sure that Vince McMahon is going to jump back into creative. But the way things are going right now in WWE, and we talk about it on this podcast pretty much every week, creative has been smooth. We may not love every single thing that they're doing, but the talent is happier. Scripts are not getting torn up at the last minute. There's long-term planning 
and storytelling, as we referenced numerous times during this particular show, and we have in prior shows as well. And beyond that, beyond the talent being happier, and beyond the creative team being happier, they're all closer than ever before. They're working in concert with each other better than they ever have, or at least in recent memory. So that is why there is so much concern and perhaps foreboding that, man, things are going pretty well right now. We really don't want something to get shaken up. But hey, we're pessimists because we know what's happened in the past here in WWE. So look, as of right now, we saw SmackDown on Friday. We saw Raw on Monday. There was zero question that those were Triple H creative shows. I mean, it was blatantly obvious. You know, you can know it when you see it, right? That main event, Judgment Day is not winning that with Vince McMahon and creative. The Street Profits are winning that main event among numerous other different bookings from SmackDown and Raw. So right now, everything is just continuing on. The boat is rowing forward, uh, but we will try to keep you updated as much as we possibly can in speaking with some of these people behind the scenes if it does get rocked a little bit and if changes do come down in the future. But, you know, look, WWE, we've been praising it. Triple H won the 2022 Booker of the Year for six months of work. By the way, that award was handed out on the Getting Over Awards, aka The Meaties podcast, which was released Monday morning. Be sure to listen to that in our podcast feed when you get the opportunity, if you have not already. But Triple H was the Booker of the Year. Many of the storylines and wrestlers that won came from WWE from those Getting Over Awards. And the start to 2023 has been solid, you know, so far, right? Two shows, successful. Let's hope it keeps going. So that's all I got on that uh, front, but we will update you if more is made available for us to know. With that said, let's wrap things up here on this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. A reminder on the way out that this podcast is all about Defy. So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a few moments of your time and please leave a five-star written review. Those help us so much. And if you do, we will read that five-star review right here on the podcast. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. In terms of what's coming up here on the show, we will be back on Thursday with your next AEW and NXT episode. And then one week from now, same bat time, same bat channel, will be the next WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast with vintage Chris Vanini back in his co-host chair. But that is it for today. So allow the Silver King to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.